Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Old Bodies Outside. This is your host, Dr. Brian Peterson. This episode's guest is Dr. Rachel Buxton. She leads a team that focuses on biodiversity conservation solutions. Her primary research interests are protecting natural soundscapes, ecological restoration, and systematic conservation planning. During this episode, we'll discuss two of her manuscripts, which are titled Anthropogenic Noise in U.S. National Parks, Sources and Spatial Extent, and A Synthesis of Health Benefits of Natural Sounds and Their Distribution in National Parks. You can learn more about Dr. Buxton's efforts at www.biodiversityconservationsolutions.com. Dr. Buxton, it's a pleasure to have you on Old Bodies Outside. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, well, thanks for connecting. And I'm really excited to learn more about your research. Um, Some of my research uh, involves studying travel patterns of aircraft, low-level overflights over national park units. And I often cite the two articles I mentioned in the introduction in my manuscripts. Um, So you have helped my research a little bit. So it's it's awesome to have you on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to be here. (laughs) Well, why don't we get started? And first off, I just recently really started getting interested in natural soundscapes. um, And it was something that really wasn't on my research radar. And so I wanted to hear, how did you get involved with researching natural soundscapes? Well, my interest in natural sounds came fairly early in my own research experience. When I started my master's research, I was lucky enough to be able to go out to the Aleutian Islands. And this is an island chain that stretches between Alaska and Russia. And the whole idea of my master's research was looking at nocturnal seabirds and how they recover after the removal of invasive foxes, which were placed on the islands um, during the the Russian fur trade. Um, But one of the only ways of monitoring nocturnal seabirds is through acoustics, because these birds spend all of their time at sea, and they only return to land at night, and they nest in burrows. So you you really can't find them um, by sight. So uh, we went to this island that's in the middle of the ocean. It's about a five hour flight from Anchorage and then a two day boat ride from anywhere with any population. And we get to this island just to sort of give us a better idea of the birds and their ecology. And we walked to the field site during the day and and waited for the sun to go down. And the sun goes down and you have to put your headlamp on and the sound just becomes absolutely deafening. So this colony of seabirds, there's about 6 million storm petrels that nest on this island, and they're all calling at the same time um, because it's their only way of communicating. They can't see each other. It's pitch dark. Um, So they're vocalizing in order to find their mate, to find their burrow, uh, their chicks, you know, and it, it was an absolutely magical experience. It's very haunting to hear all of these birds making so much sound. And it really 
sparked my passion for natural sounds and how important they are and their importance for different animals and, and how they communicate and perceive their environment. So that really led me along the path. And then um, when I went to do my postdoc in Colorado, I um, was working with the National Park Service's Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division. And that really opened my world to the impacts of noise on um, not only wildlife, but also humans and our perception of soundscapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you kind of, with your explanation, talked about, you know, wildlife and the human experience too. Um, but I also want to hear about, gosh, it sounds really hard to get out to the Lucian Islands. There. I mean, five-hour flight out from Anchorage and then a two-day boat ride. Um, but what an amazing experience. My gosh, getting out to the Lucian Islands. Um, I don't know anyone that's gone out to the Lucian Islands. Oh, well, now you know one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, what an amazing experience. And also just hearing all those calls and whatnot. And yeah, natural sounds are really important for, um, for wildlife. Um, speaking for humans, though, part of your research has looked at the health benefits associated with natural sounds. And so what did your research kind of come across there as some health benefits associated with natural sounds? Yeah, well, really anything you can think of. Um, so when we did this literature review looking at, at the health benefits of natural sounds, um, we had to dive into you know, the psychology literature, public health. Uh, cognition, really, you name it, and and their effects across the board. So, and that and I think that was the most remarkable part of that piece of research was was seeing the breadth of the benefits of listening to natural sounds. So there was everything from, you know, improving our mood, um, in, improving people's sort of perceived mood, perceived mental health, uh, perceived stress. Um, all the way to cognitive benefits. So, you know, in some of these studies, participants were asked to do more complex cognitive tasks. And when they were listening to natural sounds, they were better able to complete those tasks. So, you know, I think we can all attest to on our break from work, going for a walk and, and listening to the sounds of nature and coming back and feeling like you can maybe solve a problem that that seemed insurmountable before you left. So, you know, cognitive benefits and then, and then more physiological and, and, um, you know, medically related benefits. I think there was one study that looked at, um, perceived pain, um, of patients that were undergoing bone marrow transplants, which is apparently a very, very painful procedure. And, um, some of the patients were played natural sounds during the procedure and their, their self-reported pain, levels were lower. So really remarkable, uh, benefits. Yeah. You know, so I yesterday released an episode with Gordon Hempton, the author of one square inch of silence. Oh, great. Yeah. And so leading up to that episode, I started listening to his natural sounds on YouTube and now it's led to helping me fall asleep at night, which has been problematic for myself for a few years now. Um, and it, it really helps like it, it, it calms my analytical mind or something. I don't, I don't know how to, you know, really put a finger on it, but I stop being as analytical and I just end up kind of B 
being and I, I relax because of that and then I can fall asleep and it's been, mm. but I have found that there's kind of maybe some differences between the types of natural sounds. Like what if it's a stream or what if it's wind or what if it's birds calling? Like, I feel like those might have a little bit different effect on me physiologically. Yeah. And there, you know what, all of the things you just said, there's, there's something to that scientifically, right? So, you know, if you think about natural sounds in an evolutionary sense, humans are really attuned to signals of danger and signals of safety. And an acoustic environment that's full of the sounds of nature um, really represents an environment that's safe, you know, that evolutionarily speaking is safe um, and one that's empty. So if we're not hearing anything, that's a pretty good indicator that something's wrong. Like there's not very many situations in nature where you're hearing absolutely nothing. Um, and then if you add in noise over top of that, then you're, you know, you're getting a whole bunch of other um, negative health repercussions because of that. So, you know, when you say it helps you fall asleep, there is something restorative about natural sounds because it lets us let our guard down and we're not constantly having to surveil our surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, talking about noise, I think it's interesting in society how we have become accustomed to noise pollution. And so I think that is something that maybe, um, you know, we should talk about a little bit more is noise. Um, and I think, you know, some people refer, I've seen it referred to as noise or even anthropogenic noise. And so what is meant by that? And what are some of the common sources of anthropogenic noise within parks and protected areas? Anthropogenic noise, anthropogenic just means human caused. So it's caused by humans. But when we say noise, um, you know, to distinguish it from sound, noise is something that has a negative consequence. So it's an unwanted sound that has some sort of negative repercussions. So human cause sounds that have a negative effect. Um, and more common sources of, of noise or anthropogenic noise in parks are motors from vehicles. So cars, trucks, but also aircraft is a huge source of noise pollution in, in parks and protected areas. Um, and, you know, there's an enormous body of literature that shows all of the negative repercussions of hearing noise um, in an urban setting, but also in a park setting. And the reason is because when we go to a park setting, we're often doing so as a stress relief, as a, as a source of recreation and enjoyment. And so when noise intrudes on those sorts of environments, it leads to people more readily being annoyed, um, which sounds trivial, you know, like I'm annoyed. Maybe it's not such a big deal, but that actually leads to stress. And, and that can have a number of physiological consequences. Yeah. So the stress that's caused by noise, I think that makes it 
pretty important to maybe develop soundscape management plans at these resources, these parks and protected areas. And I know that that's kind of becoming a bit of a, a trend and picking up more and more. And that's something that seems to be, uh, I've heard that coming out of natural sounds in the night skies division of the national park service too. Um, have you been involved with any soundscape management plans? Um, not more specifically, but I've been involved in a few of um, the sort of requests at specific sources and and the impacts that those sources have, which is on the road to leading to a management plan. So, um, for example, we had a request from Alcatraz in the San Francisco Bay um, because they were opening a building to tourists that was adjacent to a cormorant colony. And they wanted to know, like, you can't see visitors from the colony, but you can hear them. So they wanted to do a study looking at whether visitor noise had any kind of impact on, on the cormorants that were nesting there. So we we did that, and and sure enough, we found that um, visitor noise inside the building was impacting nesting cormorant behavior. So we found a lot more birds flushing or, or flying away from the colony um, during noisy times visitor from visitors. And so that led to um, the park trialing um, quiet zones. So, so signs asking visitors to enjoy these buildings quietly and I'm not I'm not sure I didn't follow up with the park on that specific project but I know that the park has trialed quiet zones or the park service have trialed quiet zones in in other parks and they've been really remarkably successful yeah I think you know not too far from Alcatraz one of the successful ones is Mere Woods that's right yeah 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 um so you, earlier, you mentioned um, aircraft noise, and so I, I've come across this this wording that's the most pervasive source of noise. What is meant by that? It's the most pervasive. Um, that's a word that I don't use daily. So, what is meant by that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when you know, when we say pervasive in this context, we mean that um, aircraft noise is is present at all, almost all sites that we've recorded in national parks. And it's, it's common. So you hear it a lot, I think. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something on the order of 30 to 40% of recordings you were hearing an aircraft. So, wow. you know, if you were driving in a national park and you stuck your head out the window about 30 to 40 percent of the time you would be hearing an aircraft um so it's pretty much constant and there are very few sites in national parks where it's not present yeah so how, how does human cause sound the amount of human cause sound compared to the amount of biological sounds how do they compare in, in national parks? Yeah, in national parks, sorry, yeah, the, the levels. How do the levels compare or maybe the percentage of each, the amount of each? Yeah, well, we, it, it was great because 
when I worked for the Natural Sounds and Night Skies division, they actually have a whole program where they've collected acoustic recordings in national parks from across the country. So I believe they have recordings from over 450 sites across wow. the contiguous U.S. now. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and they had a program while I was there called the Listening Lab where undergraduate students could come and listen to a subset of those recordings. And the, the Park Service had sort of come up with categories of different types of sounds. And students would go through and they'd, they'd listen to 10-second clips every two minutes and categorize what types of sounds they were hearing within those recordings. So, I mean, that was an incredible opportunity because we had hundreds and hundreds of sites that students had gone through and um, categorize what types of sounds they were hearing. So it allowed us to look at that very question. You know, how much of the time are we hearing natural sounds and how much of the time are we hearing human-caused noise? Um, and what we did was we looked at sort of the proportion of time, you know, how often you're hearing different types of sounds. And we, we ended up sort of scoring different recording sites by really high levels of biological sounds. So really rich natural soundscapes where more often you're hearing natural sounds like birdsong or, you know, insect sounds or water sounds versus human-caused noise. So, you know, motorized vehicles and, and aircraft. And we found that it was probably about 10% of sites, so very, very few sites in national parks were you hearing sort of those really rich natural soundscapes, very full of biological sounds and not hearing very many noise events. So those sorts of sites where you're having a really immersive, natural soundscape experience are very rare. Wow. Wow. And do you think that that rarity of rich natural sounds has, it's concerning of regarding conservation? Absolutely. You know, um, the, so the, the, Organisms that make the most sound often in ecosystems are birds. Um, bird song, you know, is in the spring, in, at dawn, you hear many birds um, in the environment. And, you know, we have really good evidence that we've lost about 3 billion birds since the 1970s. Um, and we're continuing to see very alarming declines in, in bird numbers. And, you know, that probably has a, a lot to do with the increasingly, you know, empty or, or relatively empty soundscapes that we're observing. Yeah, gosh, it seems like soundscapes, I think going back to your master's research, it, it, it serves as a strong indicator of maybe ecosystem health in a way? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a big part of my, my research program. So looking at um, how, how you can use sort of, we call them bioacoustic 
indexes or, or indexes of the acoustic environment and, and how we can use those to track biodiversity and the health of an ecosystem. Yeah. Nice. And so with, with understanding natural soundscapes has and research, is artificial intelligence starting to get involved with? So, you know, the National Park Service has recordings for a long time, over 450 sites, and analyzing that um, manually with people, it seems like, is, are, are they starting to develop artificial intelligence to categorize that and use those categories that you mentioned that they've already, they already know about? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was involved in, in one project where we trialed pretty much exactly that. So we, we call it unsupervised learning, um, which is, yeah, where you teach an algorithm to be able to pick out different sounds and, and how full the acoustic environment is. Um, so yeah, AI and other machine learning techniques are a big part of being able to tackle some of these enormous databases of recordings. Yeah, interesting. And are there any other advancements being made by the National Park Service with acoustic monitoring? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, you know, if I'm thinking about advancements in the park service and, and soundscape management, I know that they've come up with some really neat ways of trying to conserve natural soundscapes. So, uh, and this is less sort of technological re recording equipment and more towards conserving natural soundscapes. And so, you know, they've trialed things like quiet pavement, for example. Wow. It's a this type of porous pavement, you know, as roads are repaved through a park, they're repaved with this porous pavement that actually is better at absorbing the noise from a vehicle. Um, and then there's really simple things like putting up signs um, that show you how loud your vehicle is. So, you know, it goes from 50 to, to 80 decibels and it goes into the red when you're really loud. Um, so you can actually see your, your impact on the acoustic environment. Have you ever done any studies with, say, how vehicles accelerate and their levels of noise emitted as they accelerate? It seems to me, someone who doesn't know anything about noise, that when my car accelerates, it's a little bit louder. Has that yeah. like, been involved with kind of a little bit of research? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one really, another really simple noise reduction technique is putting in slower speed limits. Yeah. 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 So for, for the casual person that is interested in natural, natural soundscapes, how can they kind of become more mindful? Do you have any like just personal strategies? And I don't know if that means, you know, go outside and close your eyes or, um, you know, visit parks and protected areas more, but what, what are some recommendations that you have that are pretty simple to adopt? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And I think this, that appreciating natural soundscapes can really be in any context. So, you know, going back to that, that study where we looked at the health benefits of natural sounds, one of the really neat findings from that study 
was that in, in groups that listen to natural sounds and noise, they actually have better health outcomes than groups that just listen to noise. So that's really great news for people who live in the city because it means that even if we're hearing natural sounds with human-caused noise in the background, which you likely are if you live in a city, you still may be getting some of those health benefits from natural sounds. So, you know, open a window, be mindful of the birds that are singing outside your window or, you know, at your local park. Of course, going to a, a park or a protected area and, you know, being without noise is is the best. And, you know, it's the best experience. But if if you can't get there, just going to your own local park in the city and, and listening to natural sounds has a number of health benefits. And there are a number of resources that can help you identify different birds, get excited about different birds that you're hearing. Um, one app that I often recommend to people who are sort of learning different sounds from different species of birds is the Merlin app which is really, really a great resource. You can download it on your phone and it has this really neat AI technology um, that will help you to identify different bird species that you're hearing. Um, so, you know, you can go from just sort of walking around and there being birds in the background to walking around and knowing what birds you're hearing and knowing, you know, how beautiful and spectacular they are and what, what kind of bird they are and maybe where they're coming from in South America each spring. Or it, it just really um, opens up your whole world to this, this other, you know, part of life that we live alongside. Oh, that was a great recommendation. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and that was going to be actually my next question was for people that want to do their own soundscape recordings and kind of learn about the soundscape that way. The Merlin app is a great way to do it. That's that was such a great recommendation. I sometimes use so I have an iPhone. I'm an iPhone user. Um, I will use the voice memo um, app that comes with the phone. And I'll just like go like if I'll go out to a park and protected area. So I live in the state of Kansas and we don't have a lot of people here. So oftentimes I'm the only car parked in the trailhead. Um, and so I'll just like put my iPhone in like in the grass or something. I'll go walk around cause I know no one's going to be there and I'll, I'll leave it on for about an hour and record using the voice memo and they'll come back and I'll listen to that when I'm falling asleep at night. Um, kind of <laughs> like what, it, and, and that was totally inspired by Gordon Hempton. Um, oh, you know, neat. just listening to his natural sounds, um, on YouTube. Um, so anyways, that's great. The Merlin app, I'll have to check that out. I do have it downloaded, but I've not used it uh, extensively. So I'll have to try that out too. Yeah, it, it's really, really neat. And, you know, anyone, anyone can be a burger now and be, you know, a, a citizen scientist. And, you know, you can, you can hook that up with eBird and start logging different things that you see. It's, it's really exciting, all this new iPhone and phone-based technology for, for being outside. Yeah, yeah. I had a fantastic guest on the podcast named Tama Watts. And she began birding out of her back her out of her back her kitchen window looking into her backyard. Um, and it just kind of incrementally she started going on more and more adventures, going out further away from her house. Um, and it led to her writing a book called Keep Looking Up. Um, and you know, for right. birds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that was really inspiring to hear how she uh, 
progressed and kind of got further and deeper into birding and understanding um, different birds and their calls and whatnot. That's neat. Yeah. And, you know, something else I'll mention too, you know, about being mindful of, of soundscapes as well is, and I think this is something that I really try and emphasize to a lot of people is, you know, nature and natural soundscapes, they protect our health. They, they, it gives us health benefits. And so it's, it's really a reciprocal relationship, right? It's our responsibility to protect natural soundscapes. And so, you know, as you become more mindful of natural soundscapes and, you know, as you maybe start to get a little bit more annoyed by the intrusion of noise within these beautiful soundscapes, it really is motivating to act and to try and conserve those soundscapes. So, you know, I mentioned quiet zones. Next time you go to a national park or, or a protected area, try appreciating the environment quietly, you know, in a way that's, that's not intruding on the soundscape. And, you know, that's not only a way to protect natural soundscapes, but it's, it's a way to enjoy them. Yeah, and really boost that human nature bond too. Absolutely. And I think that has, you know, kind of a ripple effect on just boosting conservation ethic and being a steward of the area too, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And just really con connecting with your, your local environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's really important. Well, Dr. Buxton, this has been a fantastic conversation and I wanted to say thanks for coming on to Old Bodies Outside and connecting from Canada, right? That's right. Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Thanks nice. for having me, Brian. <laughs> You're welcome. You are our first guest from Canada. I've, I've done really well with guests from a lot of international guests, honestly, especially from Australia, England, um, China, but I have not done Canada yet. So um, oh. here we go. We got our first Canadian guest. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be the first, hopefully not the last. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it an episode. All right.